Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My guest on this episode of The Emma Gunn Show is international business manager Kristen Lee. It has long been my wish to have a conversation on this podcast about money management and finances. And less from the administrative angle and more from the emotional one, if I'm being completely honest, because let's face it, talking about money, finances and tax can be a little bit dry. And more than that, it can cause huge amounts of stress. It can sometimes feel as though you're at the bottom of a mountain and you have no idea how to get to the top. If you're in a salaried job, then the chances are your employer takes care of pretty much everything. But if you're freelance or you're thinking of going freelance or you're starting a new business or you're thinking of starting your own business, then getting to grips with the basics is one of the best things you can do for yourself. And if you're listening to this and you don't really know what the state of your finances are or you're trying not to think about it, then Kristen's insights might be just what you need to hear. Kristen manages businesses and finance for high net worth individuals in entertainment and sports, but her insights could help anyone who wants to get a handle on their money. She also shares the big career move that changed everything for her. On paper, leaving her top business management firm to go out on her own was bonkers, but she's proof positive that following your gut, having a plan and going for it is worth the risk. I'm just going to slot in at this point that I was chatting to Kristen live from her home in Palm Springs. So there we go. Um, in the, it, it all worked out. Uh, spoiler alert, but please do listen to the episode because her insights are fascinating. In this conversation, Kristen and I discuss her role in managing high net worth sports people and entertainers and why the starting point, regardless of fame, status, income or wealth, is always the same. How she started out on stage and realised the way artists and creatives were managed and advised wasn't the most helpful and why her love for finance and business made her make it her career. Why there's so much fear and shame around money, especially for women, and why it's important to take control and know where you stand. The information around money management that you really need to pay attention to. Why hiding under a rock and not facing up to your financial situation is the worst thing you can do. And understanding when you need to delegate, who to ask questions to, and when to take control. I think one of the things that really stood out for me during that particular point is it doesn't matter what mess you're in, we can get you out. It's possible to get out. And I think that is so comforting. She also shares her advice for and against joint accounts versus keeping finances separate. Why it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. Why it's important to have a financial goal and what that might look like or sound like. And why being sensible with money doesn't mean you're not having fun. And so, so much more. The links to Kristen, her firm KLBM and everything else we discuss in this episode will be in the show notes. But for now, please join me in welcoming Kristen Lee onto The Emma Gunn Show. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen Lee. How are you? Thank you. I'm so well. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, tell the listeners where you are, because this is what I have enjoyed a little <laughs> bit about lockdown mm. in the sense of suddenly having to go online for the podcast is I'm we're, we're chatting from completely different positions on the planet, but you're somewhere right. sunny and gorgeous. <laughs> you know, I am uh, very fortunate. I'm in Palm Springs, California. Uh, I've been here since last March, so... I've yeah I've got palm trees and sunshine and a swimming pool and I feel very very spoiled (laughs) I this is a complete side note but I have a a friend who lives in LA and we um send we went to Palm Springs a couple of years ago and we send each other pictures of really incredible Palm Springs real estate and we're just like no pressure no pressure but sell your book to make it into a tv show and make some podcast Mm -hmm. money so you're living our lives well done oh 
<laughs> I love that. Well, hopefully I can just be an inspiration to your future. Well, and what I'm really hoping is that you'll be an inspiration to my most excellent listeners because you are an entertainment business manager. And what I find really appealing and fascinating about you is that you have such a brilliant grasp of how to manage money and how to not only manage money, but how to, if someone's listening to this and they're starting their own business, whatever that might be, you Mm -hmm. have really practical, easy to follow, accessible methods that will be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I hope so. I mean, I think a huge part of what I do is erasing the fear and shame around money and people's financial situations and allowing people to educate themselves, you know, in whatever capacity that they want to and and just, you know, taking control of their own financial well-being. And I think that's such a good point. And it, we, we're going to talk about women a lot. The majority of my most excellent listeners good. are women, but men listening, you are not excluded. But would you, <laughs> but would you mind telling us, uh, just introducing yourself, what you do as an entertainment business manager and what that role really means? Yeah, sure. So, you know, at the core of what we do, I, I'm an accountant. That's what I went to school for. And uh, I do a lot of tax work. So at the end of the day, everything that we do for our clients kind of plays into this overall big tax picture. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our clients have, you know, uh, homes in multiple places, or they travel around the world to work. And that creates some really interesting scenarios, depending on which tax authorities we have to deal with. So, you know, I've gotten very well versed in that. But also what we do is we make sure that their businesses are, you know, they're fluid and they're making enough money to last them because entertainment can be so fickle, you know, and you can get a huge check one year and then have a totally quiet year the next year. So we really have to manage these things carefully on top of making sure that, you know, their business filings are being taken care of, their taxes are being taken care of, their insurances are up to date, things like that. You also have to make sure this money last them comfortably for however long it might need to. And, you know, that takes some, it takes some uh, like puzzle playing sometimes and just getting a good lay of the land and figuring out, you know, how people tick and what they spend money on and, and how they want to live and what's realistic within those parameters. And I think what's quite interesting about that is that uh, particularly in the creative industries, for example, one Mm. might start, whether it's, an Instagram feed that they monetize, or you obviously have, uh, uh, is it sports people that you represent and also musicians, Mm -hmm. bands. So it's incredibly creative. And I used to watch a lot of VH1's behind the music. (laughs) (laughs) And those those origin stories were all about, you know, learning learning how to play guitar in a garage and it didn't yeah. really get into the sense that actually when you become famous you or, or when you begin to make money I should say uh, you have to actually think about a much bigger picture than maybe this very narrow part of the industry right what you might know right yeah so you know it, it's interesting that you bring that up the origin stories because yeah a lot of these people that we work with didn't come from money and so they were never they were never educated on how to, you know, be financially savvy. Um, and, and I think that's just, you know, generally common outside of entertainment as well. And especially with women and, um, you know, people of color or just, they weren't given those same toolkits, you know? So there's a lot of education because it's, it's real easy to get a big paycheck and then want to immediately uh, increase your lifestyle like right off the bat. But, you know, is that going to prohibit you from have like meeting your long-term financial goals? You know, is that going to blow all your money? So in two years you don't have any and you're kind of starting from scratch again, or are you going to use it to kind of build wealth and set yourself up for the future? So it's a, it's, it's really interesting how the backgrounds of people come into play in these things. Well, let's talk about your background because I've never heard this story before. <laughs> this is an origin story because you started out, I guess on stage like you started out performing (laughs) I did I did (laughs) I did I played in bands when I was younger um you know and I did some touring and and that was really fun but I found that I was you know really good at the business side of things and so you know I kind of transitioned 
into that. And then once I finished my accounting schooling, um, I met someone who, you know, kind of merged these worlds for me and got me my first business management job. And I was like, wow, there's really something that, that sticks with me because it's such a weird world that you have to understand. And I, you know, having lived in a van and a bus, I can, I can totally relate to what my clients are going through. Cause it's not easy. It's, it's hard work, you know, and you're sometimes away from family and friends and uh, it can sometimes feel unstable, you know, just being out and about all the time. And uh, you know, I've known people on the road who have a newborn baby and then they have to take off, you know, like, a week later and, and then, you know, leave their poor partner. <laughs> and, and that stuff is, you know, it's taxing for people. So I, you know, I try to, I try to bring that into my work. So, I, you know, I can be more relatable to them and, and hopefully, you know, it helps with the trust that we build with one another, you know, cause it's a huge part of, of uh, what we do. It's just like get, gaining that trust because we are really enmeshed in a lot of very personal stuff for our clients. No. Yeah. I can imagine that those first introductory meetings, if somebody is coming in and they're like, I've got no clue. I'm this, I've got all this creative talent, but I've got no clue when it comes to the business side of it. I can imagine that you've got to sort of almost measure your tone a little bit. And it's like, well, here's, here's yeah. the good news, but here's the stuff that we need to just have, always have in the back of our mind. Yeah, you know, it's it again, everyone's different. So you do need to read the room and you need to be able to read different people and 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 there's a lot of learning. It's like any relationship, you get to know each other, you learn how they tick, uh, what motivates them, you learn how they like to digest information, uh, what information is useful to them and what's not. You know, it's I I came from bigger firms at the start of my career and we did a lot of um just standard reporting to our clients. And I would have these conversations like, oh, did you, you know, read those cash flow reports? And they're like, no, I, I trashed those like immediately. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so why are we spending so much time putting together information that you're not using to make sound decisions? So then you dig deeper and you're like, so what information would be useful to you? What can I give you? What do you want to know? Um, what do you feel like you need to know? Um, and, and then start kind of building, you know, a system around each of the individuals that we work with, uh, rather than just shoving information down their throats that they just don't really care about. So that's, you know, it, in some ways, I feel like it might create more work to do it that way. Cause it's not standard every week. However, I'm not wasting time putting stuff together that nobody's using either. So, you know, but it's, yeah, it's been really interesting dealing with individuals and <laughs> creative ones at that, you know, some I like also, charts and things and some yeah. like black and white. <laughs> I'm also interested as well with you when I was reading your story, I, I wondered whether there was a part of you that didn't like the idea of people getting ripped off or people getting not mm. told, not told information in the short term that benefited somebody else in the long term. I wonder if you kind of, when you said about, I was on stage, but I kind of had more of a feeling for the business side of it. I, I was curious whether you actually thought, I don't really like what I'm seeing. And I know that I want to do it from a good place. I don't know if that's your story. Yeah, you know, um, my last band had an unfortunate record label situation uh, that I won't go into, but yes, it does kind of give you that, you know, I'm in a fight for the, for the little guy, but, you know, I think that a lot of creatives and entertainment people, um, you know, over, over the longer term and in the past, the kind of old regime of doing things, um, a lot of information was gatekept or they were handled with kid gloves and, and kind of like, no, we got this, don't worry about it, um, rather than teaching them and empowering them to take control of what is their money. I always say this, I don't make the money and I don't spend the money. Mm -hmm. I'm just here to help you do these things wisely. So it, it, it doesn't help anyone for me to take all this information, take all the money and, you know, run the books and just like keep it in my computer and not share with, you know, the person who owns this stuff. Um, and and so it's, it's a kind of a new school thought. And I do think there are other younger business managers that are adopting this as well, or we're like kind of ripping off that, 
that gatekeeping thing and instead going for full transparency and really holding people accountable um, in the hopes that, you know, we're setting a good example, you know, for, I, I would like my clients to not be flashy and, and buying everything left and right. And instead look like stable, <laughs> normal, successful humans um, and, and stay that way for a long period of time and hopefully never end up in like DMZ or whatever for being broke and, and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's the little things we work with. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know that we're talking about uh, high net worth individuals or bands or uh, maybe famous clients, but I really do mm. want to um, pick your brains, if I may, to be, to be more general. Because yeah. uh, we have, as I said, we have a lot of listeners who might be really interested to uh, unpick some of that. But also you mentioned something earlier about this idea of fear and shame around money. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally have like an internal compass, which is if I feel as though I'm spending money like Demi Moore did in St. Elmo's Fire, then I don't spend it. Like that's my, yeah. that was my blueprint for I'm spending yeah. what I'm making. And that keeps me in check. Mm-hmm quite a crude way of doing it but it seems to work (laughs) but I wondered but I the reason I thought you would be such a good person to speak to is because you can look at the extremes of maybe what people have seen in the play out in the media but it applies to anyone regardless of the the sum of money yeah so yeah so when it comes (laughs) to um when it comes to managing money What's the first thing you would say to somebody who maybe thinks I'm scared, I don't really understand it, I don't like the brown envelopes from the tax office? Yeah, um, you know, accept that. Accept that it's okay to be intimidated by these things. I know the IRS sends out wordy letters that are scary and hard to understand and, and that's okay. You know, you don't have to know everything, right? You don't. You don't need to understand all of it. You need to understand when you don't understand and maybe who to call. Um, you know, it's okay to delegate when you don't know what to do. Um, there are professionals that do this for a reason, you know, we're here to help you, um, to walk you through these things, to teach you what they mean in whatever capacity you want to know. Um, and, and like, don't go hide under a rock because what happens is, and I've seen this so many times is, People are afraid to deal with the thing that's in front of them. And so they kind of go under a rock and, and hope it'll go away, but instead, you know, it mounts and, and it'll get worse. So, you know, it's just, it's like, it's like any fear, face it head on, um, admit that this is intimidating and scary and you don't know what you're doing. And, and then let somebody say, that's okay. Here's what we can do to fix this. Or, you know, here's, here's how we're going to get through this. Because at the end of the day, I think all of this stuff is totally fixable, even if you're in a really bad situation. I mean, I have been in complete messes with clients or gotten new clients who have come in in like financial ruin, you know, just lots of debt. And I'm talking to people who made a lot of money, but somehow have nothing to show for it. And we've completely cleaned them up, cleaned up past tax issues. We've cleaned up cash flow problems. We've cleaned up credit problems. And I've had, you know, I, one of my clients, she came to me from another firm. She, her car payment hadn't been paid in like nine months. She had no idea anything about her bank accounts. I mean, she was just, and she was in tears. I mean, she was broken from just what a mess had become of her financial situation. And this is, this is a very successful artist. And we got her all cleaned up over the last few years and, and fixed all the things. Cause I told her, I said, Hey, you know, we're going to check in all the time about this. We're going to, and we're, you're going to look at your cash flow and you're going to decide what to tackle first. I'm going to suggest some things, but you know, you're going to look at this and you're going to say, I think we should do this first. I think we should, yeah, maybe take care of that one. And then we'll do the next one when this next, you know, payment comes in, when I do this next show and, and stuff like that. And she just bought her first home earlier this year, you know, finally we got her all cleaned up and she bought a house and now, and she's so good with her money now. And she's very communicative with her money now. I'm so proud of that because this was somebody who was totally afraid of everything and had so much shame and guilt about what had happened. 
just, just couldn't couldn't believe that she let it happen to her. And and I was like, it's okay. I, I so many people have been. I, I can't even count how many people have been in a very similar situation. It doesn't matter if you you know are you know just working your normal day to day job. You're a teacher. You're an accountant. You're an insurance broker. Or you're you know, a famous singer, it doesn't matter. Everybody has had ups and downs and, you know, made bad financial decisions and it's okay. It's totally okay. Just, you know, own it and figure out how we're going to move past it. That's such a good lesson though, to say, A, first of all, it happens. People screw up their finances, but you just Mm -hmm. have to get on the right path and things will fix. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, about five or six years ago, when I was still relatively newly freelance, things were not going well for me. And uh, financially, things were really in the pits. And Mm. I, one thing I would say is that I don't think I've known stress like the stress of having financial worries. And do you have any insight and advice for how people manage that? Because I think that was the real killer. Yeah, gosh, I mean... It is really stressful. It's so stressful when you're, yeah, when you're a freelance person um, and a lot of our artists are, you know, you might not know when the next big thing is coming in and, and that can really weigh on your mind, you know, but I think the important part is to, you know, stay focused on a budget, live within your means, be really, really honest with yourself and also just trust the process that, I do believe like everything can be okay. And usually is, especially if you, if you keep your eye on the prize, you stay focused on your work and, and, and do your due diligence as a business owner, you know, um, it's hard to be a business owner. There's a lot to do. I mean, you know, on top of doing what you do for money, (laughs) you have to do all these other things to manage your company, your corporation, uh, your taxes and, insurances, if you have employees, you have payroll, um, it can be really daunting and, and can send people kind of spiraling. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's, how do you manage that? I, I feel like if something feels too overwhelming, um, and you can swing it, delegate it, give Mm -hmm. it to somebody who can do it better and, and give you some peace of mind. And I do feel like oftentimes, you know, people don't delegate because they feel like they can't afford to do it, but then they don't realize the opportunity costs in which they're not focusing on their work or their craft or their business because they're too busy running their operational side of their business. And, and I, I think that, you know, someone like me, I, I tell my clients all the time, I think I pay for myself in (laughs) making sure that, you know, you don't have all these financial pitfalls. So it's like, how much could you be saving in stress and worry and financially if you didn't have to worry about those little ancillary things that come with being a business owner? So I feel like, yeah, if you're feeling a pressure point, you know, look at options to relieve it. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like usually that works really well for a lot of people uh, once they get past the, the fear of letting go of their baby or, you know, or that it's going to cost too much to hire somebody out or things like that. But yeah, delegate. And in addition to delegating, what about just arming yourself with the basics? Like for someone who might be listening to this, he might be thinking, I've never had to manage my money for whatever reason that might be. Maybe they've been in a salaried job for a long time and they've gone freelance or their husband or partner has always looked after the money. What are the sort of first steps that you would maybe suggest to somebody to just empower themselves so they don't go into any conversation about money thinking, I don't know. Right. You know, lay of the land. Uh, The first thing that we always do with new clients is get a lay of the land. Look at your bank accounts. Look at your credit card statements. Look at them all the time. Know what you have in the bank. Know what's coming in. Know what's coming out. Um, look at your credit card bills, look at uh, any other debts you might have and be really honest with yourself about those things. Um, I think that, you know, we've gotten really used to cashless transactions, right? People are just swiping cards or using Apple pay on their phone and things like that. And they're not, they're not 
looking at it enough. Um, and so it's really easy to just spend, spend, spend blindly. And then all of a sudden you get a bill and you're like, how is that that high? <laughs> what have I done? Um, but if you're looking at these things, you know, more often, uh, I think you're more likely to, you know, to watch what's happening in real time and maybe go, Oh yeah. Okay. That's a lot today. Maybe tomorrow I'll do a little bit less, you know, and, and be a little bit better. Um, cause yeah, I just think people are not always honest with themselves about <laughs> their actions. Do you know when I did my accounts a few years ago, I remember having a really hard time being able to, uh, basically understand that I had spent so much money on coffee. Like when you're doing your annual books and you look at all those, as you were talking about those uh, cashless payments and you're like, I've spent 6% yeah. of my <laughs> income this year on a daily coffee. Right. I know. Yeah. Coffee. It could be coffee, shoes, um, like just all kinds of little stuff or, you know, you like accidentally sign up for some monthly thing or, you know, where they're like one month free and then you totally forget about it. Next thing you know, this thing's been charging you $15 a month for a year that you never touched. Um, and there are apps now that go through all those things and come through them. Um, I mean, we show them to people, show people their monthly spending and say, Hey, you know, what is this thing? Uh, do you need that? Uh, I've had people have like, you know, weird subscriptions that we've had to go back and cancel and ask for like a year's worth of refund. Cause they had no idea this thing had been charging their card for so long. And those little things add up, they add up fast, you know, especially, if you're carrying credit card debt and there's interest on it. So mm. always just, yeah, review those things wildly. <laughs> um, I've read as well that you said somewhere, um, just basically it's like, it's more expensive to be a woman. Just oh, two yeah. things alone, the pink <laughs> tax and the pay gap, which mm, is not getting yeah. any smaller or at the speed that we would necessarily like. Would you mind elaborating right. on that a little bit? Sure. So I, you know, I feel very strongly about this. It, just showing up for a woman costs more money. I mean, we're expected to have our hair done, our makeup done, our nails done, um, wearing nice clothes. And all of these things are just so much more expensive than men's grooming, tailoring, things like that. Um, and that's kind of the bare minimum. And it even goes into you know time constraints. I was talking, my assistant is the only man in my company. <laughs> and I was talking, to him because um, he had I had an early morning workout and then I had um, like a zoom meeting a little bit too close to that and I said hey you can't schedule um, a video conference for me that close to my workout because I have to shower I have to do my hair I have to do my makeup and all those things take time <laughs> and time is money <laughs> so it's you know it's we face these things that like I can't just you know jump in the shower and shake my head off and throw on a t-shirt and show up at a meeting. Like it just doesn't work for me. I don't know how long it takes you to get ready. Um, but you know, it takes me a minute. <laughs> it takes me a minute and, and that's okay. I don't mind it. It's just that, you know, it's, it's costly. It's costly in our time. It's costly in the products we have to buy. Um, you know, and these things are societally expected of us. And then we're going to these things where we're not on equal footing in the room. We're not getting paid as much as our male counterparts. Uh, and it's, it's something that needs to be addressed. And I, I do feel that it's starting to come further into the forefront, but it's definitely a flag that I've been waving for a while and, and something that needs to be taken more seriously. Um, there's no reason why, you know, we see one producer of, you know, a film or a TV show making, you know, 25% less than their male mm -hmm. counterparts. They have the same title. They should have the same amount of money. You know, it's, it's crazy. Um, I do think a lot of the studios and labels and um, uh, companies that we've worked with, they're doing more audits of this. And mm -hmm. so we're starting to see these internal pay audits and, and hopefully seeing uh, some change there and, 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 you know, people are publicly um, displaying their pay rates and stuff now, which is really interesting. It's, it's a little scary. <laughs> that's, you know, very sensitive information, but if that's what it takes to 
open people's eyes on a broader scale, you know, and get this because people are so fascinated with it coming out of entertainment. Right. Mm -hmm. But this bleeds into every industry. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm sure this happens to teachers. This happens in tech. This happens, you know, (laughs) anywhere that, you know, that people work and you go into C, C level, C suite, um, offices and there, there's not even that many women in there and definitely, you know, women of color, probably not even that many people of color. I mean, there's, there's a lot to do. There's just so much work that we all need to do and we need to talk about it and need to get comfortable talking about it. I know it feels uncomfortable for a lot of people, but you got to remove the guilt and the shame and face it head on and say, what are we going to do about it? You know? Do you ever feel as though uh, we've talked about how you fight for other people and how you get them cleaned up, but did you ever feel going into this industry, particularly finance, which I guess is traditionally a more male dominated industry, did it feel like you had to be quite scrappy to establish yourself because you have a high profile? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. there was a certain point in my career where I realized I was not being taken seriously uh, as to what my goals were, which was always to, you know, partner at a firm and, and continue this work. I mean, from the day I walked into my first job, I was like, oh, I like that corner office. I will have that someday. That will be mine. <laughs> and everything that I've, I've done, I've worked really hard. I've asked a lot of questions. I took on more and more work, more clients. I, you know, asked for promotions. I moved to another firm. If I, if I couldn't get to the level that I wanted and I felt like I was capped out, then yeah, I had to go look elsewhere. So, you know, I, I would make a move to go to a different firm at that point. Um, and everywhere that I went, I felt, yeah, I hit a ceiling where, you know, there, I was recognized as, being strong talent and that I was good at my job and I did feel respected, but I wasn't going to ever get, you know, all the way there. And yeah, I worked at these firms that are largely run by older white men. And, you know, there are very few female partners at a lot of these firms. Um, And, you know, I kind of just had this whole thing, like, I guess I'm going to have to do this myself if I want to do it the way I want to do it. And if I want to get to where I want to go, well, then I guess I'll just get myself there. So I just kind of took my money and ran. (laughs) Did you just (laughs) kind of have to, was it a case of just, right, I'm going to start up my own business and I'm going to be a free agent, a solo agent, as it were. Yeah. You know, it it was a little, it was a little more painstaking and, um, and a longer process than that. I, uh, I, I really lamented over everything for probably a year before I did it. Um, I, you know, I weighed the pros and the cons. I was scared. Uh, you know, are my clients going to come with me? Uh, am I going to have enough money to live? You know, cause coming off of a comfortable salary job with a comfortable salary job with benefits and all of that, like I, you know, the, the insecurity that you suddenly have, it's, it's daunting. And it's like, Oh, but I, I do this for other people. <laughs> I should be able to do this for myself. I'm, I'm so intrigued by the fact that um, you had the fear, but you did it anyway, because actually yeah. I think if I was coming to you and I said, Hey, Kristen, I need you to manage my money. I would have so much more faith in you knowing that you had taken that leap too, in a, in a way. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Wow. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me before. Um, I love that. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it was, it was, what are my options, right? Um, I can stay here and keep doing more of what I'm doing, but maybe never really reach the goal that I've had for myself, or I can, you know, take this big risk and hope that my clients come with me and <laughs> hope that I, <laughs> that I survive. <laughs> and go and keep continuing the work that I'm doing. Um, but, you know, start to do things my way and start to improve on processes and things that I felt like were antiquated uh, at some of the older companies that I worked at. And 
uh, thank God I did that. <laughs> I mean, everything that has happened since is, you know, honestly beyond what I could have even imagined. And I couldn't be happier or more grateful that I, that I did those things and, and they were risks and they were scary, but oh, the reward has been just, you know, outstanding. Yeah. But that to me is a brilliant tale of ambition and of like having an inner voice saying, <laughs> steering you, all of the sensible decisions in front of you would have been stay, put up with it and yeah. stay because that's safe. Mm -hmm. But there was something yeah. pushing you. And that's what I really love with my guests sometimes when they, <laughs> they've sort of been on that journey where they've done the thing that maybe didn't make the most sense, but it's the thing that has yeah. brought greater happiness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it was my last boss, the partner that I worked for, he was great. He was a good mentor. Um, and he taught me a lot. And when I first wanted to leave, he kind of talked me out of it. And it's like, you know, give it another six months. So I did. And then I, that six months came up and I was like, man, I, I still feel very strongly that I got to go. I got to do it. And he said, I don't want to see you fail. And oh, that just lit me up <laughs> in a way that, that I couldn't even explain. I was like, well, I mean, if you have watched me over the years, how do you think that's even possible? And so then suddenly it wasn't an option, you know, Is that <laughs> I was like, well, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the, probably. <laughs> that's the weirdest thing to say. But I mean, to, that to me as well would have been like a red rag to a bull. I'd be like, I'll show you. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and I do think, I, I don't think it came from a place of, you know, intimidation or not caring. He didn't really care about me. We were very close, but, you know, I think that it was just like, how, how dare you assume that I can't do this on my own, you know? Um, and that's when I really realized like, yeah, everyone that I've worked for, I think has had this, oh, that's cute young lady, you know, like, oh, good for you. You're so good at this, but stay over there and keep doing it. You know, like, well, and, and, and I wasn't taken seriously and I had to go out and, and just do it and, and do it in a way where I'm also waving as I go by, you know, having the time of your life. But do you know what? I think people often give, give themselves away so much. And so that just tells me that maybe this guy, he probably is a really nice guy, but deep down yeah. thinks I couldn't do that. Yeah. I do think that, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about just the, the long-term stability, you know, mm -hmm. having the 20 year career in one place. And I, that worked at one point for a lot of people and mm. um, that doesn't work for most people anymore. I mean, you see a lot of younger people are starting their own businesses. They're going freelance and working for themselves or they're jumping around at companies when they can't achieve the level that they want. You know, I feel like, you know, the same thing I experienced, you hit a ceiling somewhere and you, you just, you have to make a plan to either stay stuck or find another way. Um, and, you know, there, there are different people <laughs> when they're faced with that decision. And, you know, some people just like the stability and there's nothing wrong with that. You mm -hmm. know, like there's a place for everybody in, in the career ladder chain, whatever it is we call it these days. Exactly. Um, but, you know, it's, it's some people, if you want to, if you want to really climb and you want to climb somewhat quickly, you'll see more bouncing around for sure, I mm. think. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think we have to remove that stigma of that makes you, you know, less qualified or, you know, unstable mm -hmm. uh, as an employee or whatever. It's like, no, this person is choosing their path to success. They're defining their own way. Mm. Um, and I think if you look at it from that lens, it, it totally changes the picture, right? 100%. Now, um, going back a little bit, there was another interesting thing that you said about um, financial independence. And mm -hmm. uh, you have a position on whether you uh, have a joint account, whether mm. you pool money. Mm -hmm. And, I would, and <laughs> I'm with you, I, but I, I have never pooled my money. 
Uh, and so yeah. I, I can really see your reasoning. But people listening to this might have joint accounts, but you have good reasons uh, for maybe being more financially independent, even in a marriage or a relationship. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you seen the story where, you know, uh, two people get divorced and one of the partners or spouses has no idea what's going on with the money or there is no money and they had no idea and they didn't know why, or, you know, a big line of credit had been taken out and ruined their credit or something. I mean, there's so, I feel like this has happened like just so many times, you know, to so many people. And so it's not to say that you shouldn't do things jointly with your partner because, because you should, I mean, that's totally fine. I mean, you know, I've bought a house with my partner before and, and what we did is we did a joint account and we each put in money into that joint account to pay for those shared things. Um, and then everything else stays separate. You know, it's like, I have my own credit cards. I have my own checking accounts. I have my own savings and those are my responsibility, but I will, you know, come in basically as your roommate and pay my, <laughs> my share of the bills. And, and I think, I think it's a lot healthier that way because then everybody is just meeting in the same field. Everybody's contributing the same amount of money. So it takes that point of contention away, right. Of, of feeling imbalanced mm -hmm. because, you know, I feel like a lot of people probably fight over money, especially if things are, are not feeling even. Um, and then, yeah, you continue to take ownership of your own finances and you pay mind to those things and you make sure that nothing is getting in the way of your financial goals and nothing is, you know, being done. That's not to your liking, you know, cause I know people have been like, Oh, you know, my partner keeps doing this thing on the credit card, but then they, they hold it in and they let it fester and then they build resentment and then it becomes this huge thing that didn't need to happen, you know? So I just think, yeah, I just think keeping things mostly separate is just healthier, you know? Yeah. And you talked as well there about financial goals. So uh, what does that look like? And I'm asking because I'm thinking about my early career when I had a salaried job and I would make the money, spend the money and hopefully not spend more than I made. But there wasn't necessarily a goal in mind. It was just kind of, I guess it was paycheck to paycheck. What, what does a financial goal kind of look or sound like? Uh, that's such a good question because it could look like anything. I mean, it. Here's what we do. We start in one place, right? We look at the, like I said earlier, the lay of the land. Where are we now? You know, what, what do you have in, in savings and your checking and debts and, and that's your, you know, your balance sheet. Then where do you want to go? Is it getting rid of debt? Is that your financial goal? Is it buying your first home? So we need to accumulate a down payment. Is it, I want to retire in 10 years. So I need X amount of dollars. It, the financial goal could be anything. It's the, where are we now and where do we want to go and how are we going to get there? You know, and, and that takes, it takes brutal honesty of, especially of where you are now. Um, I think some people are not honest with themselves about where they are now. And, you know, when we analyze people's spending, it's like, Hey, you spent $7,000 on Ubers last year. Is that what you want to keep spending your money on? Or, you know, you spend X amount of dollars on this. Is that what you want to, is that the decision that you want to keep making for yourself? Or would you rather put that elsewhere towards, you know, a different spend or goal or savings or whatever? So, you know, it's, you got to be really honest about where you're at and then commit to how you're going to get there. Cause it usually requires change, right? It requires, um, dedication showing up and, and just like staying the path consistency, big on consistency. You know, you have to, you have to just keep going, even if it's a little bit at a time, but every step forward, even tiny ones are still getting you on the path, you know? I was talking to a friend the other day and we were talking about how Instagram makes us feel about our money and bear with me here. So I have, um, I have friends who are on Instagram and they're very much life is short, spend it when you make it. 
and Mm -hmm. I see them buying lots of things and I'm like well that looks kind of fun but then me I'm thinking well I will I will invest in my future I'll pay into my pension I'll pay into healthcare and all of these things yeah and I'm really happy with that decision but I also like how their life looks so do you feel (laughs) (laughs) do you know what I mean it's a different way don't we all want to live like the Kardashians you know just getting like bags and shoes and private jets everywhere I mean, it looks nice, right? But I'll be honest, I do feel very strongly that they're not everyone who's flashing around like that, but a lot of people that are, they probably don't have as much wealth as they're showing. Mm -hmm. Because if you're, if you're making a lot of money, but you're also spending it on all of these flashy things, and you're, you know, just putting them all over the internet and showing them about where you're not saving that money, you know, it's like, your bag isn't going to lead you to retirement. <laughs> it might look nice with your outfit and on the internet, but you know, it's not an investment. <laughs> um, and, and it's okay. I always tell my clients, it's okay to splurge and, and gift yourself things. Um, especially if you've worked really hard, you know, I do believe people deserve to treat themselves for their hard work. Um, I don't want them to just shovel all of their money away and sit on it and, and say, oh, I'm never going to spend a dime, you know, because that's not fun either. That you have to find balance in that. And, and, you know, it's like, okay, if I'm going to put this much into retirement, this much into my savings account, then what's left for my play money? Because everybody should have some play money. You know, you and I should have play money. We might not have private jet play money, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> one there, day. It, it, yeah, <laughs> one day. You know, you got a private jet to Palm Springs so we could hang out. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, the play money exists for everyone and whatever amount that, you know, that's realistic for you. And, and I, I think that ha- having that balance of things also makes people less likely to do that impulsive, crazy splurge, right? Because if you, if you like, pent up all your money aggression. And then you're like, I've been so good. I'm going to just go wild out and spend all of my money in one fell swoop. And then, and then you go into the shame spiral of, Oh no, what have I done? And, and then you go back to the other way, you know? So I've seen those patterns kind of like ebb and flow in, in my clients. And it's like, Hey, let's not do that. Let's get more balanced and consistent. You know, um, it works better for (laughs) everyone. And for me, you know. But I like that because you're not saying that one way is right. You're not saying that one way is wrong. You're saying that there is a way to find a balance between the two where you get to tick both boxes. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's, there's always a way to live a balanced life. I mean, this is like with anything. It's like with eating, like people's dieting with your, you know, anything you can think of in life. You're like, you don't want to do too much of anything. I mean, not to say saving too much is bad, <laughs> but I also believe that, you know, you got to have a little fun too. You have to live a little. I, I don't think that you should sacrifice like life and, and never treating yourself to only save, save, save. I, I think you focus on saving schools and then, you know, you also have a little, you know, silly money too. <laughs> Agreed. A hundred percent agreed. Now I wanted to ask you about something that you said a while ago, which was, it's not how much money you make. It's about how much money you keep. Yeah. Right. Again, it's, I feel like somebody's asked me this before about how much money we see, we get exposed to large sums of money. Um, and for me, the numbers become arbitrary at a certain point. They're just numbers. Um, and what comes in, you know, largely goes out, uh, depending on how you live. Um, so you never want to be spending more than you're making, obviously. Um, but you know, as you, as you go up in income in your career, so, you know, the, say you work at, you know, an advertising agency, you start, you know, entry level salary job, and you start working your way up. You don't want to increase your spending every single step of the way that your income increases, because then you're just kind of living along that same line. And then what happens if you have a setback? It's a lot harder to scale back than it is to scale up. So 
you know, you kind of want to temper your lifestyle growth, you know, to stay beneath your income growth. And we encourage our clients to do this a lot too, because, you know, especially because we don't always know how the next year is going to pan out. I mean, look at what happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. That really rocked everyone, uh, but entertainment got hit really, really hard. And people that, you know, had to reckon with a major lifestyle change because they suddenly didn't have uh, the income that they thought they'd have or any income, some people, um, that was just really brutal, you know? Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, you got to live within your means, never spend more than you're making, obviously. Um, and also never spend the money before it's in the bank. You know, if, I don't care if you know a big paycheck is coming. I have this contract, whatever. Look what happened with COVID. All of the things that were coming didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, the tours that we had lined up for clients, gone. Any shooting, filming, gone. So, you know, if you if we had people who had been spending that money that was contracted in their head uh, prior to, you know, the outbreak, uh, they were, they'd be, a total mess, you know, because you can't, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You can't, you can't count on that. You have to look at what you have to work with right here, right now. You know, that's, that's what's real. I like this idea of um, income being on on a graph going up and you just kind of flying just a bit below it. Yeah. And because like you say, I, I love that expression as well. It's harder to scale down than it is to scale up. And it's yeah. true, like to put, to pull back especially yeah. financially. Yeah. Well, you get used to a certain level of comfort, right? It's, if you get used to living in a certain, you know, home situation, driving a certain car, having nice things, and then all of a sudden you can't afford those anymore. You know, that just sucks. <laughs> it just totally sucks. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want anyone to ever have to feel that way. However, you know, sometimes that does happen and it's just a hard lesson that, um, that you got to just, you know, take on the chin and, and keep going forward. And, you know, I hope that if that does happen to anyone that instead of, you know, running away from it or, or woe is me or beating themselves up about it, they learn from it and say, okay, you know, I'm going to try this again and I'm not going to do that (laughs) this time. Now, you obviously work with a lot of people whose creative outlet is their their main job. But yeah. there might be people listening to this who maybe mm-hmm. they have uh, a job, but they have a creative side hustle. I know that we've, that, mm. that phrase has become a little bit of uh, tarnished, but let's just yeah. get a side hustle for now. Yeah. But And their, their sort of long-term goal is for that creative, joyous job to eventually pay the bills. So it's a slightly different dynamic from maybe the one that you're used to, but what advice do you have for somebody who is currently safe and steady as it were, and, but Mm -hmm. is hoping to make that branch off at some point? Well, you know, it is, it's a big financial shift. And again, it's scary. I've done it. Um, And you have to trust yourself and trust the process, but this goes back to the, the time consumption. If you are, if you are working 40 plus hours a week at a job and then trying to do your craft, your passion, whatever it is in your after hours, um, is that realistic from a time standpoint? Um, also that sounds really exhausting. So are you giving it your best shot? If this is your passion, something that you love and a business that you want to build, um, I think it behooves you to not make it your priority. And I do understand there's a tipping point where, you know, you, you need that job to kind of get things off the ground. But if this is your business, you need to treat it like a business. You need to operate it like a business. And there, there's a point where you just gotta, you gotta go out and do it. If that's what you really want to do. I mean, just take the risk, figure out how you can make it work, make a plan and go attack it, you know, um, and hopefully whoever's, you know, having a side hustle and you're wanting to start your own business, hopefully you've also, you know, accumulated a savings. Like I had a good nest egg when I quit my job. I knew that I was going to be good for, you know, at least six to 12 months if I didn't make any money at all. 
-hmm. So I had that peace of mind knowing, okay, if this goes bottoms up, I'll be okay somehow. So, you know, if, if you're going to jump out, you know, create a little cushion for yourself so that you're, you're able to take that risk, but comfortably, um, because it's hard the first year. Um, but I do think you really need to be able to dedicate your time and energy to it, especially if it's something that you love and are really passionate about. You don't want to put that second. That, that should be first. <laughs> when you're explaining to people, perhaps who for the first time are really getting a clear 360 picture of what it takes mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Uh, manage a business, is there a piece of information or is there a particular part in the conversation where you see them just all the blood drained from their face when they realize that there's some, <laughs> you've just told them something that they'd never even thought that they had to consider? Um, I feel like that comes up in taxes a lot, you know, um, especially people who uh, just started making a lot of money and we do their, you know, their first year of their business taxes. And we're like, here's what you owe. And you know, people are like, Oh my, you know, I'm paying how much, <laughs> uh, but you know, making running your own business and making more money co- <laughs> comes with, you know, the not so fun part, which are, you know, a lot of paperwork and, and filing taxes and paying taxes. If you make a lot of money, it's just natural that you're going to owe more money in taxes. So, you know, I think that, that one definitely kind of gets people in a oh, wow, you know, I've never, never imagined that I might have to pay this large bill. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's the reality. Definitely and that's the to- thing that you said right <laughs> at the top of the conversation, it's about accepting it and understanding that's just a part of the, the game, as it were. So I, right. it might be I call scary. them good problems to have, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, I'm like, I'm like, look at it this way. If you have a big tax bill, that means you made a lot of money. <laughs> so, I like the spin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, anything to keep them happy. <laughs> now, this has been really helpful, but would you mind telling people where they can find you? Because you've got loads of resources all over the place and you actually have these Instagram lives where you share advice and you have conversations with people. So would you let um, uh, my most excellent listeners know where they can find you and what else you're putting out there that they might want to tune into? Oh, sure. So um, our company uh, Instagram is KLBM LLC. Uh, and yeah, that largely I try to keep focused to the business. And then I have my my personal Instagram, which is where I do a lot of the lives and, and have some fun conversations with other people in the industry. And um, I'm at Miss Kristen Lee. It's M-I-S-S-K-R-I-S-T-I-N-L-E-E. Is that where you have wine? Is it Wine Wednesdays? Uh, yeah, I got so busy with tax season. I had to kind of put those on hold, but I'm looking forward to getting back into the wine Wednesdays. Um, those were so fun. I, I had, you know, artist managers that I worked with. Um, somebody from my firm came and did one, some people from record labels. And, you know, we just talk about life and, and business and pick each other's brains. It's fun. I'm looking forward to doing more of this. I'm going to ask you as a final, as a as Jerry Springer's final thought, if you had one thing <laughs> that you wanted listeners to be left with in terms of if you could just give one piece of advice about how to handle or approach or feel about your money, what do you want everybody to know? What's like the Kristen Lee branded piece of advice? Uh, you know, it, there's nothing bad about money. There's nothing bad about uh, not having a lot of it or feeling like you have a lot and you don't deserve it. I just feel like there's so much shame around all kinds of money situations, uh, good and bad. And I would really like people to just, you know, stop having such fear and shame around it. And instead, you know, really owning it and, and making it work for you and, and feeling more confident about it. Um, yeah, get, get that confidence. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. This is so fun. Thank you for having me. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found that conversation with Kristen and I helpful. If you would like to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can always DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners, and why wouldn't you, then go to the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode and click the link to join the Facebook forum. I would honestly love to see you there and I know the thousands of other listeners would too. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next one. Bye.